Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. I've got with me uh, a young man that wears, wears, I should say, many, many hats. Um, so many hats, I couldn't even count all of the hats that he does wear, or he still wears, or he has worn. Dan Green. Dan, it's lovely to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, one, for making so much time. I appreciate it because I know you're incredibly busy with your multiple, multiple jobs <laughs> or things that you do or have fingers in so many pies. Thanks for having me, James. That's okay. So, Dan, so, um, you're primarily focused uh, around bikes, motorcycles, I should say. It's Bo- your, both. Both. I would say both, yeah. But you've had, I would say that we're going to probably talk a little bit more about your two-wheel action more than your four-wheel action, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, what was it that caused this passion or this this stirring in you that sort of sent you in this direction from the start? Honestly, I think it was uh, it was an escape and like the freedom. So, the first sort of wheeled vehicle that I had didn't have two wheels because mm-hmm. I was like two years old. Um, it was called a big wheel. I don't mm-hmm. know. A lot of people remember him. A lot of people won't. Well, that was the one that's three wheelers. Three wheelers. Yep. Made you... of plastic. Just... Yep. And now all you see the people do is on YouTube where they go down hills in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. just actually missed that one. Yeah. It was like a week ago. Yeah. Um, so I had one of those. Uh, I got one of those, uh, and it was sort of like a hand-me-down from cousins or something. And uh, little did my know or my parents know <clears throat> that that would be um, – start something off that would like last a lifetime you know to this day still and the day that i got it so i'm told i disappeared okay uh and so from hopefully that, they found you at some point yeah well it was funny because that that's set off a chain of events where mom would have to sew my name and address and my clothes and everything because <laughs> like and i it happened several times where i disappeared and people returned to me they were like <laughs> we found your kid you know <laughs> two miles away what so um yeah, I think I think it was that. It was just the freedom, uh, the freedom to 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 go and do things, and it was fun. I mean, it yep. must have been fun, otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Of course. And then does that mean you started like a big wheel posse then with you and your friend, I like did. terrorizing I the neighborhood? Oh, for sure. We were. I don't remember what our our official title was back then, but yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so going from big wheels, and so where did it go from big wheels? Um. Um, I don't remember exactly how old I was. It would have only been a couple of years later. So a bit of my past as well. <clears throat> Grew up in England. Mm-hmm. Small town um, near where the Formula One Williams team are now called Grove mm-hmm. near Oxford. And um, I got a bike for, let's say, my fourth or fifth birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of those old, small, like the balloony tires, the mm-hmm. white ones, you know, very common in England back in the day. Uh, my teacher used to ride the adult version of that to school every day. But I got one of those. Was it the one that had the shifter? So you could That sh- was a rally. That yeah. was the rally, the grifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Everyone dreamed and the of chopper. a rally, the rally grifter. Yeah. yeah. So I had a grifter later. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the first one was this little, you know, tiny, because I was small. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, my parents brought it home for me. And my dad uh, had a friend at work at the base that you know he was stationed at that had an extra set of training wheels, but my dad forgot to bring them home that day okay. or wasn't able to. Um, so I got the present, but my mom was like, oh, but you can't ride it yet because we don't have the training wheels. Mm-hmm. And so we had the party and everything, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I, after things calmed down, I went back in the garage, looked at the bike laying on the ground, and I thought to myself, what training wheels? Like, I, I don't need training wheels. Mm-hmm. I already know how to ride the big wheel. Yeah. You know? So I took the bike out and rode away. Never had training wheels. Look at that. See? <laughs> Natural. <laughs> Natural talent. And then someone returned you after finding, obviously, the, the message in your back. Please return. By, by that point, I knew how to get back oh, okay. home. Okay. I knew okay. how to get back home. But that bike then, I mean, that was like the next evolution in in sort of exploration and escape. Mm-hmm. Um greater distances i mean now i could go you know five blocks <laughs> uh and uh and that was cool because then i think that age as well is when you start to you start to have your little bicycle gangs with your friends your little crews yeah, and we'd ride around yeah yeah, yeah. definitely so all all the neighborhood kids we would sort of like go to you know the the park that we'd go to which is like a block away and that was like our main one and then every like once a year you go to the big park which mm-hmm. was four blocks away yeah you know but um it was cool. Uh, I loved it. 
And then so a small would that have been a BMX? And I'm guessing of no, sorts? it was no, just, just a, a tiny sort of like commuter. Like they don't even have anything like that in this country. It's like a, the European child starter bike, bike yeah. from the 70s. You and, know, and now they just have those wooden ones yeah. that you have that yeah. the kids with those the striders. Pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they construct yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, technology. From that, then was the the. Then I got the grifter. Mm-hmm. It was a bit bigger, and uh, again, just it just increased the range. Yeah. And the street cred, and obviously. The, that was huge. I mean... There was the chopper yeah. and the grifter. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a... And it was custom painted, too, because my mom knew um, a guy that worked at a local uh, car uh, paint shop and stuff. So they bought it to me, and it was used. Um, and she had it stripped down and painted blue, my favorite color, like the first bike was. Mm-hmm. Um, pro car finish you know so it was good everybody was like where'd you get it? that one you know yeah. we've never seen that that's one fancy. You know? it was debadged so i basically started the debadging oh that's it you, you <laughs> shaved it you shaved the weight that's right you're like look i've got i've run <laughs> incognito on my rally mm-hmm. so and so where from there then um, Obviously, you've got from five blocks. Now you're going like ten blocks, maybe fifteen blocks to push. Yeah. So continuing on with the with the this the love of two wheels. So I always loved uh, anything athletic, mm-hmm. um, which translated into a great professional or professional careers mm-hmm. later in life. But um, on the cycling front, what was next after that? We moved after that. We moved to Texas. Which is obviously very similar to Grove. I mean, I hear they're basically twin cities. Identical. Almost. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know. I woke up and I was you like, we're still in England? Yeah, you just knocked on the desk and I was just a different neighbor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, vastly different. Like, couldn't have been, you know, more opposite than what I was used to. Um, and that era, too, was a very strange. This was like 1981, mm-hmm. 82. So, crazy, awesome, awesome, like, memories when I think back about it. Um, and so I got a bike there and that was, uh, more, um, BMX oriented, mm-hmm. um, rode that. And then we moved to Italy, um, took that bike with us, rode that around the little town that we lived in when I lived there for mm-hmm. the year and a half, excuse me. And then it just kind of, I can't remember what the next bike that I got was. Oh, uh. Down the road, uh, we'd moved to Germany at some point, so the old BMX bike was out, and I got a new one for Christmas. Um, and then that was around the time when BMX freestyling, within the next like five years, would sort of come about, or not even that many, three years. Mm-hmm. So when that hit, that sort of consumed my life, and I managed to convince my parents to get me a GT. Mm-hmm. And that was, I guess that's where it really sort of became more than just a, an escape mode of transportation like most people think of a bike, most kids do. Yeah. Um, and I really sort of like dedicated my life to like that. I became like a freestyler mm-hmm. so much so that I was sponsored by local shops and then with support from um, GT and it was incredible, you know. Um, uh, skateboarding came about at the same time that sort of like, so I was doing both and but that's a you know not two wheels. So you're back on well, it's four wheels. Yeah, so it's your first yeah, time yeah. the four the yeah. four range of four wheels, I guess, as yeah. well sort of sorts. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then I started somehow. Oh, I my dad had this old Peugeot ten speed bike, mm-hmm. down tube shifters and all that jazz, and um, um, some sometime along the way, I I figured I'm going to start riding the big bike. Yep. The man's bike. and uh, you can go faster. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as fun, but it was looked cool. And you go faster. Every, yeah, yeah. And um, and that sort of turned into, you know, me watching racing and stuff in Europe and then wanting to get a bike and I worked some summer jobs and saved up and bought a Cannondale. It was like their newest aluminum road race bike. Mm-hmm. Started racing and training and joined the team and had fun, had successes with that and uh, um, and I always kept a road bike um, to to stay fit and everything as I sort of like down the road segued into racing motorcycles. Okay, 
<laughs> so then how did that segue then come about? Where did the switch way go? Well, you know what? I'm kind of tired of pedaling, and I might yeah. just switch to just... So I had ridden motorcycles as well as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, we were out here in California in the desert, um, Mojave, California City. Um, so, but I, And I only liked um, um, anything that was off-road, motocross, enduro, you know. I could not stand road racing. It would mm-hmm. come on the TV and I'd immediately change the channel because, like, who wants to watch bikes that just go round in circles and basically, you know, mm-hmm. they're completing a, a lap. Yeah. But there's no jumps. There's no sliding. There's no – it was just kind of like, oh, what, try to stay on the bike and go fast? Mm-hmm. Um, and then – Little did you know, right? Little did I know, mm-hmm. foreshadowing. Uh, it was – I guess I must have been around 18 or 19 – um, and a couple of buddies had motorcycles and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not really, I don't, don't really enjoy the, the road, road stuff. So <clears throat> this friend of mine had asked me if I could fix something and I had always been really good, like fixing things with my hands. I used to take things apart and rebuild them. So, mm-hmm. um, I was like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. Um, uh, mind you had also done by that time, I had also built several really good I mean, I've skipped huge chunks of this that <laughs> contribute. Um, I built, I don't even know how many BMW engines, like from high school and stuff like that, at auto shop, learning all that, and mm-hmm. getting invested in cars then. And and uh, and I had and I had gone the car route by that point. But then the motorcycles things through friends came about, and I fixed it up, you know. And I was like, well, I'm gonna take it for a little test ride. And I took it for a test ride, and I was like, wow, this is actually really fun. It's so fast mm-hmm. compared to cars and everything. Yep. And that just you know, lit a fire that then I was like, well, I'm getting a bike. So I sold, a, sold one of my cars, scraped together, bought this really nice bike, um, started doing that. And because uh, also we find out that bikes are a little bit cheaper as well to buy yeah. than cars. But as long as you don't crash them. Yeah. As long as you don't crash well, them. Well, I guess it's still if you crash. Well, <laughs> <laughs> bikes are like done. Yeah. Just a tip over is, you know, thousands. Yeah. But then again, on a BMW, it can be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's easy if you're working on it and doing most of the stuff yourself. Yeah. Um, so I bought this bike, started hanging out with some people who were more into the racy scene and, you know, thought they were quick. And again, just a natural talent thing. Mm-hmm. I was super fast on a on a motorcycle anyway. Um, so this guy convinced me. He's like, oh, you should go and do a track day. Okay. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you should go do a track day with us. So I'm like, sure, whatever. You guys are racing on <clears> the <throat> track. What are the fun the guys have? Yeah, yeah. So I went out there. And these guys had been going for three years, you know. They kind of did that like once a week or mm-hmm. once every two weeks. And um, they convinced me to go, so I went and didn't know what I was doing. There was no, you know, I had the tires that I rode on the street. I wasn't, no tire pressure checking, no suspension settings. You would just, well, drive in, pay my feet, right, that, right to the track, let's basically go. basically how it, and I think for a lot of people, that's just as simple as how it starts. Yeah. So... I, um, by the end of the, the, the day, I was faster than all of them, you know, by considerable amounts. And they were like, there's no way you've never, you know, been here before. When did you come here? And no one would believe I was like, I've never been here before, man. This is the first time on a track. This is awesome. So which track was it, by the way? Hockenheim. Okay. And, um... I was, which is I, not a bad place to do your first track day. No, well, I mean, really. uh, there's tons of tracks that are good. You know, there's tons of tracks that are bad. But Hockenheim certainly was not a, you know, it was a, it was good. It was mm-hmm. good because they had it was a, it was the short short course. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of uh, you don't get a lot of downtime, um, but it teaches you a lot. And there's a lot of like, there's all of the right mix of turns. There's on camber, off camber, increasing radius, decreasing radius, lefts, rights. You know, banked, not banked. Um, hairpins, anything, you know, multiple, like a string in a row that you have to connect as one, mm-hmm. like multi-apex turns. There's so much. And um, I didn't know that at the time. But it's a great track to sort of, you know, train and cut your teeth on. So I was fortunate in that respect. And uh, I started going more and more. And then I started, you know that sort of set me down the sporting side of, of motorcycling. And I started learning more about like, uh, any equipment, helmets, leathers, gloves, boots. Um, and that translates into all the equipment and accessories that you can have for your bike, mm-hmm. you know, and tires, huge suspension. Mm-hmm. And this, so I started, um, 
slowly piecing together bits and bombs because this stuff was expensive. Yeah. And I was by no means like some, you know, super rich person, but I had enough money to be able to afford the upgrades that I thought would benefit me and help me get better quicker. So after the course of about a year, um, <clears throat> I we were at a track day with with friends again, and it was fun, and I was ripping around. You know, I don't know if anybody was faster than me, than me that day. Um, a lot of the times, it would it would be that I would be by far the fastest person out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got home that evening, and my buddy like called me up, and he says, "Hey." Um, there's a, a a shop that also have a race team out here like where I live, where I get my service done, and they were out at the track when we were out there. <clears throat> and uh, they want to know if you'd want to come and do a test with them. And we would always, you know, prank each other and, and, and play practical jokes. So I figured it was a, a gag. <clears throat> and oh, these uh, be serious. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fall for that one. Like, yeah. why don't you really try to, like, why not try to find something that's a little bit more believable? Yeah. You know? So I blew it off, you know? And it's it like, yeah, oh, you want to meet Thursday? So I'm going along with it. Yeah, yeah, Thursday. I'll be out there Thursday evening. What time? 5 p.m.? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, okay, cool. And who, who should I ask for? You know, he tells me Wolfgang. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll ask for Wolfgang. And they'll be in the big yellow van. Okay, yeah. I didn't go. Yeah. And um, and then Wolfgang, you got a call from Wolfgang. and then you're I like, didn't. Oh. I didn't. Um, But my buddy called me again. And was like, uh, like Friday or Saturday, and he's like, "Hey, what happened? Did did something come up?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "The test, the motorcycle test. You missed the test. Like they said that you didn't show up." And I'm like, "Are you really going on with this? Still, come on! I have called your bluff. The joke. It's not drop it. Yeah, yeah." And uh, no, he's like, "No, no, it was real. This and the other." So I'm, I'm really skeptical. But I decide, like, it's sort of like not in Carl to carry on like this yeah. so I'll give it a shot I'll see um, so they lined it up for the next Thursday went out there sure enough real deal so um, I went out did test runs had you know just a couple of people like the main guy uh, Wolfgang was there he was the team boss and owner um, a couple of the crew guys and they had a bike prepped and ready for me um, let me go out for a few laps. We just took it really slow and it was really cool because that was my first time actually having like a team environment around me. Mm-hmm. And um, went out, did about five laps, you know, came in. They're like, how is it? I'm like, it's fine, you know, but they're like, what, what, you know, does, what needs adjusting this, that, and the other. And at that time I had no idea, you know. So luckily one of the guys there was really cool and was able to sort of like, we were able to speak a language that worked, mm-hmm. you know, or I would tell him where the bike would do certain things out of coming out of this turn or in this section. Um, and he could translate that then into the technical, you know, side of things and make the adjustments on the bike that would sort of like, um, take those, take the issues away. And, um, I ended up ending the test faster than their second rider who was injured. So they offered me a spot to finish out the season, did that. And then that just snowballed into a career of me actually racing. Okay. Um, so when you were took that first step, which series were you racing in? Then was that a, just a German? Yeah, it was a German, um, and it was like it wasn't their top series, which was at the time. I think it was still called IDM, in International Deutsche Motorradmeisterschaft or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like the B license. Okay. So it wasn't A, right. but it was it was great. You know, had you thrown me an A, I might not have continued on because mm-hmm. I would have just gotten crushed. Yeah, yeah. So from that, um, it just moved into like me racing full time the next year, um, and multiple different championships with different teams over the course of I don't know, I guess five or six years in Europe, mm-hmm. S- uh, six, um, and then. So, which are some of the tracks that you got to really enjoy then in those five to six years? And you're out there. So, racing? favorite favorite tracks for me, um, most it's weird because some of them. So, I like Brands Hatch. Mm-hmm. I like tracks that are like roller coaster courses. I okay. like a lot of elevation change. My father really liked Brands Hatch. It's his favorite racetrack. Wonderful track. Mm-hmm. Tracks like um, Donington is really cool because mm-hmm. it's got 
you know, huge elevation on the on and, the and like a castle at the beginning and a castle. So, but there's castles in Germany. Well, no, I'm just saying. So, but it yeah. has the <laughs> yeah. Castle Raceway. It's part of the title, so it sort of gives it away. Um, and it's famous, obviously, for Ant and Senna yeah, doing his, his his wet lap there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. There's a lot of history. A lot mm-hmm. of the tracks that I raced at because I raced, you know, European and worlds. It was. I was racing on tracks that you know people read about, mm-hmm. you know. But to me, it was just like that was the. The, the the job for the day, you know? I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I like... Um, the Nürburgring is good. The GP course. Mm-hmm. The Nordschleife mm-hmm. is something totally different. That's what most people know. But the actual GP, the actual track track, is fantastic. It has ups and downs and everything that you could want. It's got... And it's really cool because it's got some... There are these secrets to that track that once you sort of, like, unlock them in a game, mm-hmm. um, they become... It's it's so much of a of a of an advantage that you have. It's incredible, and I think that um, that figuring those out for all tracks is cool. But Nurburgring has some really really good ones, and there it gives you advantages that people can't protect against if it's a pass move or, okay. or or things like that. And it's really really cool. And I had to learn those some of them the hard way, you know and. And um, but I picked them up pretty quickly. Nurburgring's nice. Uh, Brands Hatch is great. Phillip Island is amazing, um, partly because of its location. Mm-hmm. But it's just a really, really fun track. And Unless a lot it of, gets a little windy, and then it's it's cool. always windy. Yeah. And there's always really, those really damn windy. Yeah. seagulls yeah. that are trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, At least not magpies. He's, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. Seagulls can only maybe kill you. Magpies will kill yeah, you. Yeah. No. See them. those the guys out there get pretty big, man. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm well aware. Yeah. Um, what else? Austin, the oh, the old Austin before mm-hmm. they did the modifications when I had the really big like first sector. Oh, that was a dream. Um, but um, since they've changed it, it's okay. But it really killed that track. Um, I mean, for me anyway, I, I took so much away that that first massive high speed section going out into the fields was just fantastic mm-hmm. um, um where else i'm trying to think italy's got some great tracks what am i talking about um um yeah there's too many man yeah there are really too many tracks when once, I think, you dig when into I, it. once i start thinking because yeah. I, I never do this i never sit down and think back about see that's what come on the show yes. for yeah. you talk about it yeah that's so funny. so in those Mizano five, is fun so in those Sounds five and six years yep. which was it all the same competition you were competing in or was it a series of no, different ones different ones so i i the over the course of my career i raced in like the german championships part of the dutch championships british um and then europeans because it was there then it went away then it came back mm-hmm. right towards the end of while i was over there um and then worlds um, and that was super bike, super sport, super stock. Okay. So, um, no GP stuff. Okay. Those GPs like sort of like a, it's like an academy. Yeah. You know, like you're like born into that kind of pretty much, or at least at the time it was. And then luckily, um, some of the you know multi-time super bike champions were you know granted. Uh, a pass, of a sorts. Pa- yeah, a pass in, into into the GP world, um, but most people like if you're not in that world, it's not really you're not really going there. You'll mm-hmm. stay on the on the production series side, which is, I mean, it's 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 not bad, you mm-hmm. know, because I mean, you you could take any of the top names of the of the GP guys, you know, the front runners, and just throw them into World Supers, and they won't do good, you know. It's just a different. It's sort of like a different thing, you know. It's like guys that race, um, you know, do road racing in like a GT3 series. Yep. And the guys that race Formula One. Yeah. You know, they'll both be able to handle the cars, but they won't be front runners if you just swapped them. Yeah. It just takes time and, and experience to learn all the ins and outs of each of those types of you know platforms that you're on. Um, so I had a great a great time the, the the what brought me back here to the states because i know that's what we're trying to get to eventually there's no rush here. yeah uh, all the time in the world <laughs> uh how much battery you got in that thing it's plugged more in. than enough <laughs> since it's bank it's powered by the main so we're okay <laughs> um uh and i, I think for my 64 gig memory card yeah you could talk for like uh like four days so i yeah. think we're okay yeah it's not gonna be that long all right um we um 
after that, I I picked up Supermoto while I was in Europe doing mm-hmm. the road race and stuff. And it was just a way to train and also have fun because I missed the off-road and the jumps and all that stuff. And motocross wasn't really that big. Um, it's certainly not as big as it is here in Southern California as a sport. You know? Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate enough to live kind of near a motocross course and also near some go-kart tracks that would allow, you know, bikes to train there. Mm-hmm. And sort of picked that up and would go to like cool supermoto training things and just blaze around and got offered to ride part-time for a team, a KTM team while I was there. And then that translated into a Husqvarna team and then um, an Italian Husqvarna. Um, And then I had a big crash in 2002, I think, um, in a super sport race, Mm -hmm. world championship race at Oschersleben. And um, totally just destroyed my left leg. Um, Which kind of been fun. Was, no. <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't know how bad it was at the time. But um, after everything got sorted out, um, it was like uh, having to like, kind of like relearn to use it and be able to do things. <clears throat> and I sort of had the, the, the prognosis that it wasn't going to be what it was. Mm-hmm. So there was no more soccer or, or hockey, which, you know, I played, uh, uh, or running and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, probably need a cane for the rest of my life and, you know, or at least something to help me. And I was like, man, you guys don't know who you're talking to. Yeah. So I took about nine months getting it, getting my body back to what normal. So you couldn't tell that I had any sort of like issues or anything like that. And it was tough but um well worth it um and supermoto was one of the things that i was doing while i was sort of like rehabbing and through the road race and stuff i had met a guy named freddie tashini whose dad was jules tashini if people are big time race people and in belgian he's like legend and they have a course that's sort of part road, like a made up of like a road course, you know, named after him. Mm-hmm. And he organized a supermoto race every year. It's massive. And I think it still goes on to this day. It's called Superbikers of Mente. Mm-hmm. And Mente is the little town that it's in. And uh, they combine motorcycle racers from all disciplines, put them all on supermoto bikes. And then they have this like weekend of races, and it's cool because throughout the week, Mortal Man, so any you know Joe can show up and run through a series of qualifiers to try to make the big Fun. main. Yeah, and it takes all week to do it because like thousands of people show up, or hundreds at least, like mm-hmm. high hundreds. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so Saturday. They'll do all of the final qualifiers for the Joes and then maybe some like ATVs or different classes of racing. And then uh, in the afternoon, they do the All-Stars race. And our year, we had like, it was supposed to be USA versus the rest of the world, but we didn't have enough American guys. So we did English speaking versus the rest of the world. And we picked up Chris Iden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, so we had Australia, a British, uh, and Americans. And um, when Freddie asked me to come out to that, I was stoked. Yeah. I, I had only been training. I hadn't raced in almost a year. And uh, I was excited to be back on the bike, sort of like really grinding and out with some people that could really ride. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I didn't know who would be there or what the format was going to be until I got there. And uh, showed up. And um, it was wonderful. Like we had – so Kevin Schwantz was there, and he ended up being the our team captain. Just in a bad captain to have. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> uh, and um, we had we had a great crew. A KTM North America had brought over some young guys: Chris Fillmore, who a lot of people know, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Carlson, um, a guy named Steve Drew was there. Um, I mean, it was it was fantastic. It was such a good like group of guys. And Supermoto was just being born here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we we we. We did the we did the race the first day and had tons of fun. And then the next day, it was the you know the how many ever it was twelve or eighteen. How many it was the split of the all of the all stars that yep. raced the same number 
of mortal man okay you know, or whatever it filled up a field of like 40 so there was like 15 of us or 18 or 16 of us you know and then the rest were all these like guys who the just qualified it, yeah. and it was just fantastic man it was so fun to get out there and do that you know and a lot of the guys that were qualified for the thing weren't bad i mean they're you know they, they had to they be could pretty be, good yeah, at least they could at least they could easily be pro riders but they have day jobs and that kind of stuff you know and i think yeah. supermoto get lets you get away with that whereas some of the other sports don't mm-hmm. um it was great and um from that made a great connection with ktm north america um Came over to the States, tested, checked out some stuff with them, worked a deal um, through them, um, and I rode for them for two years on and off also, but like plagued with injuries, like straight away, first race, first season of them in 04, broke my wrist. Just um, an idea, obviously. Pieces, yeah. Actually, no. Uh, what did I do the first year? Was it that? can't remember Same. i've done two copper mountain just does not agree with me okay that's a the where the races were um uh but and then I, the other races were all fantastic but it was fun you know getting a chance to kind of do all that stuff and and go to x games and 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 the crazy rounds the locations that we could put supermoto in were f- like in reno you know and, and vegas mm-hmm and to to actually get to go and do that and race there was 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 excellent you know and I think after about two, three years, um, put together a racing school and demo program with Red Bull, mm-hmm. toured the country, raced both the Pro Series AMA, and then uh, there was an amateur series uh, supported by the AMA called NASMoto that that we did um, well, with KTM, and that was it was fun. It was a good time. Um, but I was just, I mean, I by that point had like almost nine, ten years of like racing, smashing myself to pieces on occasion. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing there's probably a little bit of traveling involved in that as well. A little bit, who would have thought? A little right? bit, yeah. Um, somebody needs to hurry and invent the transporter beam for these future generations. Yeah, make man, it a little bit easier. Yeah, Be but nice. it was it was great. I had a, a a great time, great career of doing that, and then. I segued from that into the corporate side of the motorcycle industry. Worked for a couple of companies in Southern California. Um, then ended up working for Ducati North America, mm-hmm. managing the Southwest of the U.S. for um, after sales and service, so all the technical side of stuff. Um, and then uh, left there in '08 or '09, and didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I knew that the corporate world, at least the way that, you know, the the companies that I had been involved in weren't functional, mm-hmm. like they weren't sustainable as a company platform, and I could see that, you yeah. know, and it certainly, you know, took advantage of a lot of people involved, part of the reason why, like, I got out, but it was, I still had a road bicycle, so in order to sort of like work through whatever was going on in my head, I started riding more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And the next thing you know, I'm getting a race license and I'm starting to race again because I'd race as a junior in Europe. Um, and met lots of cool people, was having lots of fun, was rediscovering the competitive side again after a little hiatus. Mm-hmm. And um, met a, a really cool buddy who to this day I guess is my best friend Spencer Cannon um, and he has he had sort of gotten tired of the the political crap that goes on in cycling the elitism and stuff especially between race clubs mm-hmm. so he sort of was just floating around not racing for a team anymore and him and a group of guys were trying to create this own sort of thing do their own thing and um, it ended up being Spencer sort of created this cool jersey and then bibs and then this fake story to go along with it. Um, and it was all sort of like, you know, in jest. It was all this tongue-in-cheek, really funny, kind of making fun of what a lot of people think, you know, is 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 a serious business, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all past our prime as far as like racing goes, you know, pro cyclist. No one comes in at like 30 and is a pro cyclist, you know, you've missed the boat. 
and uh, unless you're maybe you've got something else floating around your body. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, maybe. yeah, maybe. And even then, you'd have to. I mean, you'd really, a lot of, there'd be a lot of stuff floating yeah. around inside of you. I'm guessing. Yeah, but again, it's got because it's an investment, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime it, if, when it comes to athletics like that, it's an investment, and teams will invest in youth that they can promote and nurture and grow, as opposed to someone who is at that same level but ten years behind. I was it's only just grow there. Yeah, other parts of their yeah, body. Yeah, that they yeah, don't yeah. Grow. yeah. <laughs> Um, so no, um, Spencer started this and then it was in sort of like becoming this bike, bicycle company. They had some frames done in Taiwan and he and I were becoming more and more, you know, chummy and, and the next thing you know, uh, I'm racing for them and, and helping out and doing stuff. And that went on for about six years seven years he'd be able to tell you better than i could started like around the end of 09 when Mm -hmm. i stopped with ducati um about six months later um and it went until about two years ago or a year year or two ago um and it was i mean we had the greatest time and and spencer also likes automotive things as well oh he's huge he's huge in the last couple of years he's gotten big time into vintage racing mm-hmm. and I, I may also be partly to blame for that because um my significant other is also comes from that world mm-hmm. you know and and she's the one that was like well tell him to go vintage racing so i told him to go vintage racing and now he's vintage racing. and doesn't he obviously he uses the most reliable form of uh, cars you can of course he, he uses british cars yeah they, they, exactly they have no issues ever ever never has a, has a british car racing car yeah broken down well in fact every british car that i've owned has been run like a dream and never broken down once that's purely positive there it's true i mean and it's it's something that a lot of people don't realize everybody Mm -hmm. wants to buy german i'm like come on buy british yeah it's the only way to go yeah so you're competing on the bike and then making the bikes on the bikes and doing other stuff with the bike store so and then as we get off track, and talking then, about Spencer. Yeah. Um, oh, I love um, I love talking about Spencer. He's a great guy. No, well, we're I, just going to get Spencer to talk about people. him. You should. All right. You should. You can twist his arm. You, you heard it here first. Spencer is going to do a podcast. Good work. I'm going to convince him. All right. Um, I might have to pay him lots of money. Um, you could just let him beat you one time no. when doing the virtual racing, the he's, VR racing. He's great. He's right. done a couple of – I'm sure maybe you've seen the Petrolicious videos yeah. and stuff he's done. He's got two. So he's he's getting up there and ranking. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to, back to the story. Um, uh, we'd ride periodically, do some supermoto stuff, some testing, some R&D stuff for some friends. Um, kind of drifted away from that a little. Um, still loved it. Would still do some cool tinkering and building on stuff here and there with friends. Um, and then several years into the bicycle company thing uh, and, and all of us racing with the company and then our team um, and we were racing we weren't no one was professional obviously but we mm-hmm. were racing from cat one to cat three which are the top categories in the country yep um, <clears throat> we somehow um, POC POC had approached us they're a company that do um, protective gear for mm-hmm. gravity sports, for cycling, BMX, skateboard, snowboard, ski. Um, they sponsored the U.S. Um, uh, winter, like, ski and snowboard guys, like, in the, not the last Winter Olympics, but the one before it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were big. They were blowing up. Um, they were huge in the ski world, trying to move across into the bicycle world. And Spencer had somehow come in contact. I don't know if they had reached out to him or he, I, I can't imagine he reached out to them. Mm-hmm. Spencer's not that guy. Um, and... They were interested in like doing something with us, whatever that meant. Um, so um, Interbike was coming up, and we were like, sure, let's just meet there. We had some crazy casual meeting at some bar with beer, and um, plans were, you know, dreams were sort of discussed, and who knew what was going to happen. And then within two months, like, it was official because we started getting emails and, and requests for what we need for next year and propos- propositions for, like, what they're going to do you know, for us, and we were like, what is happening? And and then a little while after that, they announced that they were going to be the official sort of suppliers for um, the World Tour team. At mm-hmm. the time, it was, now it's like EF, the like Education First uh, Cannondale team. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they weren't Garmin, I don't think. Maybe they were Garmin still. Um, 
Uh, and so there was a World Tour team, and us were the only two teams that they were fully supporting mm-hmm. in the world, and we were blown away by that. And there was no pressure on you, obviously, to live up to that. Of course not. No, no. <laughs> it's funny because we we aren't really those types of people that that would happen to anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just kind of like, cool, Pac is going to help us out. You know, yeah, it's cool. Not thinking of anything more than that. Yeah. Um, which was good because otherwise there might have been a little bit of anxiety and stuff. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Stefan is the was CEO founder of the of POC. You know, uh, he came over um, uh, along with Laurel, who is his sports uh, marketing or the sports director, who's director of their sports um, um, arm of the company. And we had a sit-down meeting and just kind of went over some things super casually. And then that was it. And, you know, Spencer had dinner with him that night. And it was just a really – it was all super casual. And we sort of, like, worked kind of with them and rode for them for about three and a half, four years. Mm -hmm. And then um, through that, through just, you know, having met Stefan uh, because of that, uh, he and I didn't really have anything to do for the race side or anything other than the fact that we had met and would discuss racing and other things whenever he'd reach out to me or we'd see each other at Interbike. And he reached out to me um, several years uh, ago now and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, starting something new. I th- I'd like to talk to you about it. And I had no idea what was going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we meet. It's at, during interbike. We meet at this like, like small little off the off the beaten path sort of like bar place. And you know, I get there and he's there at the table. And I'm like, oh, well, the rest of the crew hasn't shown up yet. And he's like, no, no, it's just you and me. So now I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Is this going to be some, you know, are we selling body parts or yep. you know, what are we doing? And um, <clears throat> he pitched this idea to me that he said, I want to do um, electric bikes slash motorbikes. And my first thought was, good luck, buddy. Um, because up to that point, the the companies that existed out there who had tried to sort of make their way had floundered or just were, you know... They're having some challenges. Barely, yeah, yeah. Challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> barely surviving. And uh, and it wasn't anything that I look, looked at as being, you know, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want to get on board a company that was going to do the same thing and just, you know, fight to stay afloat. Um, So we kind of went back and forth over, I guess, the course of a year, and he kept sort of pitching me more and more and sort of, like, courting me and trying to get interest. And I guess it was a year or two later that he actually showed me some, some sketches and drawings and renderings and stuff, and... I saw for the first time that this was completely different. And I don't know if originally his idea was different, Mm -hmm. but it certainly was by that point. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in. This I can do. This is what we need. And by we, I mean humankind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And it was it from, he was like, oh, great, awesome. We're moving ahead with it. Uh, we're gonna get you involved. We're still in the early stages, so let's stay connected, and then we'll activate you, you know, when the time comes. And then a little while later, um, sort of had me start working, not officially um, as an employee for the company who uh, – the company I'm talking about is Cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess I did that for about almost a year, and then it became a, an official gig um, – and that was about for another, you know, uh, what's it been now? Another year. So it's it's been uh, it's been fantastic. And that was sort of how you and I are talking now. Yeah, definitely. because of because of cake. Yeah, um, the electric revolution um, and the um, sort of where where things are headed. Yeah, where they are, but where they're like really the direction that they're turning towards now, yeah which is good and so for those people that are a little bit unsure about the the bike you're talking about or cake in particular can you tell us or go into a little bit more depth i should say and extolling the virtues of it of sure. what is a very attractive motorcycle yeah it um so the 
original concept designs um, was actually a, a bike that had a pedal system on it, so it was like a pedelec. But that sort of went the way of the dodo pretty quickly once we decided that we weren't going to use um, any off-the-shelf sort of parts, mm-hmm. nothing that was pre-existing already in the market. And we had bought one of everything, you know, the best ones out there, you know, four years prior, and just rode the piss out of them mm-hmm. for, you know, for those years and learned so much. Like, so much of that experience is what went into us creating what we created. Because, I mean, let's be honest, like, most of the people involved in that original buildup didn't really know you know, some of them were moto guys, some of them were bicycle guys, mm-hmm. ski guys, surf guys. And the the what came from that was crucial. It was critical. So there is no like jumping in and getting it right the first time, you know. And I think I think maybe a lot of people that don't know about cake think that that's what we've done or that's what we're trying to convince people or they're like there's no way some company comes out of nowhere and makes it and it's that good. Yeah. They're paying all these media outlets to say nice things about them or whatever. Um but no. Um there's a lot of R&D in that bike and um when it came to the point through all the testing we realized that most or everything pretty much out there wasn't going to live up to our standards and what we wanted to offer. So we built a bike from zero. We, we had the motor, we knew what the drivetrain was going to be. And we were like, let's, let's start. So we took geometries, you know, that, that were um, part moto, part downhill mountain bike, mm-hmm. part sort of cross country enduro style bike. Um, and started from that suspension components. Olin's was a, a natural uh, uh, sort of like thing because they're 35 minutes away from our headquarters in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, and they provided us with an application that you know is only available on the cake bike. It doesn't exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a, a kind of a, a really cool facet, but also something that as a as a as a as a as a company you you get to sort of like it's a little bit of a bragging right yeah. you know it's it's a proprietary thing and i think the more that you can offer that it becomes uh, the exclusiveness and the the sort of premiumness of of an item becomes more apparent mm-hmm. especially when you have it from the premier suspension builder yeah. in, in the world cuz they're pretty fancy yeah it's good I credit mean, they're gold yeah exactly it's got to be good yeah it's fancy so um yeah, I mean, down to the hubs, down to the rims, down every single piece on that bike, you know, we did. Uh, even the tires. Um, and then the only thing that's not, the foot pegs were an off-the-shelf item from a company that we have do our uh, sprockets. And then... I can't believe you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a time crunch. I know, I guess. Now, Luke, <laughs> we could let you off of that one then. No use reinventing the wheel, yeah. as they say. Yeah, I mean... Those were... It is a those pair, were let's exactly be what we needed, yeah. so we took them. Yeah, why not? Yeah, um, uh, and then the um, the brake master cylinders are from uh, Formula. But other than that, and the grips, the grips mm-hmm. are just a, an off-the-shelf either pro grip or pro taper. We use a, a yeah. common motocross grip. Um, but it was it was sort of the culmination of a lot of R and D, a lot of dreaming, you know, a lot of passion. Uh, a lot of hard work and dedication and sleepless nights and travel and, I mean, you name it. I mean, I didn't have gray hair when I started this, but now I've got lots of it. Yeah, uh, you can't see it. Well, they, no one can see <laughs> I just it got on my the, hair cut, that's why. No one can hear it here on the podcast, so you're okay. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't sure if you'd have a camera. I'm no, kidding, no, I'm kidding, no. Kidding. Um, no, so uh, the bike itself um, is, um, it's in, it's incredible. It is more than most people expect um just the power to weight you yeah. know ratio is what does that and, and while, it's a good looking bike too yeah from a design aspect it is it is very minimalist it's very simple and it's designed for function but it also keeps a really clean and sort of pure aesthetic that's mm-hmm. why it's got the white you know and a lot of that is a sort of a callback and an homage to um 
where the R&D and stuff takes place and where the, the original concept came from. Um, Stefan owns a house on the Swedish island Gotland, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a limestone bedrock island. So limestone is chalk, mm-hmm. and it's white out there. Lots of white, you know, on the in the land, and it's 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 amazing. The bike, um, the, I think the the only thing that that sort of hampers um, the popular conception of electric vehicles is range anxiety. It comes up a lot. Um, but there's no need for it, honestly. Um, this bike in particular, the the Kalk, was designed to be an off-road adventure vehicle, toy, tool, whatever you want to think of it. it gets you out, you know, you know, enjoying yourself. Uh, and the commuter version that came from that um, is oh, is just that. It's a commuter version. It's not a bike that you're like, hey, I'm going for a tour up to Seattle. Yeah, you're not going to happen. No. Um, but for commuting, it, I can, it is the most incredible thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has a 50, 50 plus mile range. Which is that's, really neat. that's really getting into it too. Yeah. So, if you're you know stop and go and you're kind of cruising around, it's, you know sixty miles maybe yeah. sixty five. Yeah, it does sixty five miles an hour. You know, it gets there quick because it's electric. It's all torque, mm-hmm. um, and it still has the ride modes from the from the you know the off road version. It has the braking modes from the off-road version, which two of or two of which are regenerative back mm-hmm. to the battery, um, and it also is basically the same bike, just slightly altered for you know a commuter type use. So you can still take it off-roading on the weekends. Yeah. It still does the same thing as the other one does. Yeah. Um, and you don't really, I mean, if you need more than that from a range perspective, then it's not the bike for you. Yeah. But I feel like in greater metropolitan areas, uh, if if you're riding more than 50 miles one way, because if you have a place where you can charge it, if you get to work, you plug it in and charge it, you have a you have almost 120 miles of range. Yeah, which is a good distance. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't like to be doing a commute of 60 miles here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that would be not ideal, for example, yeah. driving out from Hollywood to Ontario yeah. every day. But if, you've, if, you, if you have a 50 mile, you know, if you've got to go through 50 miles of LA mm-hmm. traffic and then 50 miles home, I mean, this thing is... In, it's exactly it's the answer to your waiting in traffic problems. So basically, what you're saying, Dan, is that my wife should definitely get one because two. she's going to be going. She should get two, two. because what are you going to ride on the weekends when you guys go to hang out? That's true. See, she all she does is commute from here to soon to be downtown LA. So that's easy, yeah. right at that point. Yeah, yeah. See, see. Uh, so, um, but yeah, the the bike. Um, for people who don't know as well, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, no, uh, www.ridecake.com, ride like the bike, ridecake.com, um, and check out what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could sit here and try to explain it all day long. Or they could see it on Instagram and see the fun videos that they've all done. They could. They could. Because uh, they had those stuntsters doing the stuff in it as well. That's right. Ride cake also for all of our Instagram, whether it be Facebook and or... And they don't have to hear it from you. They could also go see friends of the podcast that should not be named, like Alex Earl, who had some fun on the bike. <laughs> they could. They could. There are so many ways to check the bike out. Yeah. Another one is a is a very famous museum that's here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um that has it on display. That's right. You can say the name. Okay, good. Yeah. So the Peterson yeah. has it on, on, uh, on display. Um, we are, In a lovely exhibit, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we are ecstatic to be a part of that and honored to have been chosen to display there. I mean, that is incredible. The, we have another bike at a museum, and it's at the Swedish you know, National Museum. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... It's it's huge, you know, especially if you're Swedish or if it's a European kind of thing. Massive. Yeah. But the Peterson Automotive Museum, yeah. like the amount of traffic that they get, and it's based on one very small segment, cars, motor, motorcycles kind of thing, is, you know, incredible. Yeah. You know. And it's with so. some good companies well in the exhibit, so people mm-hmm. should certainly go and check it out. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the accolades that the bike has sort of like accumulated since we launched it in January 2018 blew us away yeah we had no idea we weren't I mean we we hoped I mean you always hope like everybody's gonna gonna love it yeah but you have no idea you really have no idea until 
until it happens, and then because you always hope that it's going to be positive. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You you are like man. I hope I everyone ho- likes as, as, as much, much as I do. Nine tenths as much as I my do. My baby. Um, yeah, yeah. I might be a little bit overcommitted to it. Yeah, so if yeah, they're like yeah. almost there, I'm like yes. Yeah. And then and then you launch it, and I think where you launch it's also sort of a, a good indicator, you know. And we we didn't get the best launch. I think sort of like area where we launched it, but it was enough to draw crowds and get the initial buzz going. And we needed it; we wanted it to come slowly, like to slowly develop. Like mm-hmm. the the good analogy is the the frog in the water. You know, throw him in boiling water, gets like jumps right out. So yeah. it's over. Yeah. Um, but uh, we we put it on a slow slow boil, and um, it, and hopefully it, put the lid on. As yeah, well. yeah. Put the lid on. Yeah, so preserve as much heat as we could. Yeah. Um, we didn't want to splash either. You know? No, it was messy and cleaning up. It's difficult. <laughs> so uh, we uh, we we got some good ones, and I'm gonna toot our horn here. And we we won a German National Design Award, Swedish National Design Award, several other throughout Europe. Um, the one, probably the biggest one, um, was the Paris Motor Show. Car people know what that is. Yeah, motorcycle people probably know what that is. Mm-hmm. It is massive. It's the biggest auto show. And we won a best of the best. And it was the first time that a two-wheeled vehicle ever did that. Which is not a bad feather to have in one's cap. I mean, and we were, we were. I don't even think we were one year old yet. The bike hadn't even been, you know, mm-hmm. shown to the public. And at that point, I think we had we had delivered the initial 50 limited editions Mm -hmm. we were just finishing up like maybe the last five yep but the production models and like no one had those yet you know so it was it was crazy to think that there's this thing that's been honored you know so graciously and in such a humbling sense and we had it wasn't even a production item yet you know um, now it's a production item and churning them out and getting them out to people. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with the entire, um, electrification of, yeah. of motorcycles. There's, there are things happening. I mean, even for example, with Harley Davidson yeah. coming into it and, yeah. and seeing their way. And a lot of people scoffed at that and a lot of people we laughed at it and, you know, naysayed it and put it down. And I think... It's easy to understand why, um, but at the same time, you you need to look at the bigger picture, mm-hmm. which is the fact that a company like that, the change of course mm-hmm. that they have switched, that they have opted to engage in and mm-hmm. take, you know, they're not doing it for fun, you know, they're not, you know, taking a, a shot in the dark, you know. That's where they're the very is. calculated. Yeah, yeah. It's Harley Davidson we're talking about here, man. I mean, you think they've been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not like us, you yeah. know. So we can only aspire to 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 survive and be, you know, as big as them one day. Um, but uh, all the the electric side of this gives a chance for so many new companies to come to come forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think because that gives. I mean, you've got the basis there. You can yeah. obviously get your the the motor from someone. Yeah, and you can pick up different parts from someone. And then it's some their company taking their unique design or yep. utilizing those their best parts. So yep. it's, it's great that you, it makes it. Uh, should say what the cost of entry is probably yep. reduced in that field for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that a lot of the people don't give these companies credit for the due diligence and the hard work they put in on the front end. Um, uh, the the pre the pre development stuff mm-hmm. you know like uh, there isn't there isn't a company that you know is nameable today or has a bike on exhibit at the Peterson or is a is a is a known entity in the motorcycling world an electric yeah that didn't put the time in to 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 try to solve and figure things out from an electric standpoint mm-hmm. because they're vastly different vehicles yet also so similar you know you have a lot of the same woes that you will as a with an internal combustion engine 
heat being one of them in some cases, depending on the amount of output or mm-hmm. what you're asking of your of your you know your systems, your controller, your batteries, yep. your motor. Um, but there are solutions for all these things, and the good part is that each one of those sub industries that handle like the electrical side, so the controllers, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then you've got the batteries, and then you've got the motor. Those develop independently, so those indus- those are standalone industries as well, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I and I think that again, kind of jumping back to the the issue that a lot of people have with the range anxiety, that's going to be a moot point really quickly. Yeah. Because finally, all of these battery tech industry companies have gotten their ass in gear, because for the last two decades they haven't really had to produce anything that had a, a stable long lifespan, like you know, like a lithium ion chemistry mm-hmm. base. That had to power anything more than a cell phone or a calculator or a watch, yep. you know? And then with the move towards the electrification of vehicles, cars predominantly, because that's the thing that everyone drives. And thank God for companies going that route. Like, I think a, a lot of praise needs to go to Tesla from the standpoint of it made it a common thing. Yes. They proved... That, that it works. It is possible. Yes. Stop denying this. Yeah. Stop trying to say it's not. Yes. And because of that, that opens up. I mean, because now there's electric boats, electric helicopters, like all these things are starting to pop up. Mm-hmm. Once somebody showed that, like this everyday thing that you use can do this, it can. They can even get electric leaf blowers. That's right. That are very quiet. Maybe in the future. Yeah. Don't get me started on leaf blowers, though. I have a huge thing with leaf blowers. It is the most idiotic thing on the planet. Like, all you do is blow dirt somewhere else. Give me a good old rake in a bag. That's that's. Look, my <laughs> my my friend will tell you. Look, all you do is you just blow it onto someone else's. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. On the way here, it was funny. There was a, they had just mowed an entire sort of field over by Griffith Park, and there was a guy with a leaf blower in the in the grass, blowing the the chopped grass out into the street and across the sidewalk. Like the complete the entire three lanes coming up, uh, uh, what is that Los Feliz Drive? Mm-hmm. Just green for a section. I was like, what's going on? I thought it was spilled paint or some chemicals. Yep. Yeah. But no, just nature. Yeah. And the hard work of one man. One man cleaning up the field With his leaf floor. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with the with EV world and um, motorcycles in particular. Yeah. Um, it's been good. It's been good getting back into the industry, um, being a part of this, facilitating this, you know, growth uh, and, uh, and connecting, connecting with like a lot of older friends and all this and the other mm-hmm. and uh and making so many so many wonderful new ones you know um yeah it's it's good it's fun life is good right now well that's good and uh dan if anyone's wanting to find out obviously they know where to find cake but what about if they want to try and track you down to find out what you're up to oh i'm difficult to find okay yeah uh there's a series of puzzles you have to solve and yeah passwords and yeah yeah all right. <laughs> no, um, I mean, if you want any, if you want a glimpse into my personal life, um, it's my handle on pretty much everything. I think Twitter, all the good social medias, is Danimal Green. Yeah. So it's like animal with a D in front of it, green, like the color, no E on the end. Um, you can find me on any of those. Um, reach out and say hi, because sometimes it's kind of weird when people just add me and then go into stuff, you know. And I'm like, huh. Yeah, who are you? And all you also now you're featured on the No Breaking podcast. You might get stopped in a car park. I know. I'm really going to have to go underground now. Which is what I've heard <laughs> happens to people. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Very few. But, is that uh, good or bad? Is no, that well, like a, is, is that stopped in a car park late at night? And give me your money. Or? No, no. It was a shout out to Sam Nagel. Nagel. Nelvin, I should say, if I pronounce it correctly. Yeah. An officiato of all things, a great British boats. But he got nice. stuff. He said, I heard you on the... I, or someone... Oh, no, I've got his friend now that listens to the podcast that always tells him when he comes up in conversation. How did that person know who he was, though? There is no... There, like, people can't see me. Well, no, he's he's also famous as well on the internet. Ah, and see. he hosts another podcast, That's the his Maximum down, Driftcast. That was his mistake. And his uh, moniker is Drift Idiot for the videos he used to produce in regards to drifting. So he is... Inf- well, more than famous, one might say, infamous. <laughs> yeah. 
so that's why I got tracked down. But no, <laughs> he's said nothing but positive things. That's good. Good. That's nice. Nice, nice. And that's it's even uh, nice when some of the people, the fans of my list that not, are included in my immediate family reach out and, yeah. and tell me things. Well, I'll get the production lines fired up. If anybody, I'll buy a t-shirt with my face on it. You know. There you go. Look, it's a way to go. It's a way to go. <laughs> but uh, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much as well for making time to come out here. My, I appreciate it. My pleasure. Seriously, thanks for having me, James. And uh, if anyone really should go check out uh, the cake stuff, it's fantastic. And also, definitely get a picture of Dan on a t-shirt so when you do stalk him at a car park he, he knows where it comes from what if this becomes a thing that would be so funny it'd be great you get a whole like one <laughs> yeah yeah I'm gonna make one for me yeah there you go alright guys well thank you so much for listening in as always leave us a very positive review we like to hear that tell your friends get them to subscribe because that's what we need we always need more subscribers and more listeners and uh, if you've got any questions just let me know uh, at no breaking and until then guys we'll see you next time bye bye